This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good Monday morning. I'm Chris Nee. I'm going to be hosting this episode of On the Bench, which is brought to you by Chattanooga Whiskey. If you're a whiskey fan, go try it. If you haven't had it, let us know what you think. And if you've got any questions about it, reach out to Brandon. He's one that knows the most of all of us. But Zach is becoming a quick learner himself as he's enjoying what, the bottle. What's that supposed to mean? So this show will be myself, Brendan, and Zach. And we're going to talk about the first scrimmage, which was held on Saturday inside Doe Campbell. It was the sixth pra- practice of the spring. Uh, involved in that, obviously, FSU had, I don't know, 30 to 50 kids on campus, roughly. We'll also get into that. So first things first, how are you guys doing this morning? Doing great, Christopher. Thank you for asking. Plus, I'm alive, I'm vibrant, and I'm ready. I'm not sure about the vibrant part. I'm just being honest with you here. What is that? Chris, mean? All right. Chris, how are you? Chris, how are you doing? No one asked you that. How are you? I'm great other than my power flickered at like 850, and I had a moment of uh-oh. Uh, there was just, uh, Chris, uh, for the people watching, I'm like 10 minutes from Chris, but we're kind of on the same side of town here. Uh, and I just saw a bunch of electric uh, trucks go out by me, too. My power flicked about 10 minutes ago, too. So they're doing something. So this may all be well, the good, may crash. The good news is we may be like rolling, putting together one of the best podcasts ever and just ends abruptly in the middle. So if that happens, it is what it is. And we're still going to upload it either way. All right. We'll enough of that. Into the scrimmage. Uh we covered the heck out of it on Saturday. Mike Norvell, all the coordinators spoke afterwards. We had notes immediately after Mike Norvell concluded speaking of stuff we were told about it. And obviously a lot of that was echoed by what Mike Norvell and the coordinator said. So I'll start with you, Brendan. What's your number one takeaway from what we learned about on Saturday with regards to when they got in the stadium, got after it in a game-like situational? It was a situational scrimmage to lay it, groundwork for folks. It was, and some of that means putting – you know, the offense and defense in challenging situations, specifically the offense, they, they back them up a few times and, and try to see how those guys did. And the big takeaway for me, Chris, and this is after talking to various sources, as well as you know, the coaches basically said this, I think Mike Reville used the phrase dominant, and and I hold, fully believe that it was a dominant performance by the defensive front, which isn't uh, too much of a deviation from what we've we've seen in person through the first five practices of the spring, right? Like the defensive line has been really good. And it seems like it was just a continuation of that on Saturday. Uh, heard a variety of names. Patrick Payton, uh, coaches sang his praises afterwards. Uh, Fabian Lovett, I don't know how much he went. I think he went a little bit on Saturday, but he's been great so far this spring. Josh Farmer is a name that that I was told did fantastic on Saturday, and, and that followed in line with what he did well on, on Thursday's practice as well. So a lot of different guys step up each and every day, it seems like, and that is a testament to the depth FSU has on the defensive line as well as probably a reminder that, you know, defense is usually going to be further ahead of the offense the first week and a half, two weeks of a camp. Usually that's not 
uh, that's not atypical. And, and FSU also on Saturday operating without a couple of projected stars on the offensive line, as well as no Jordan Travis. So take it all with a grain of salt, but it sounds like the pieces on the defensive line that we've seen so far uh, through the first few practices of the spring kind of uh, did what they were expected to do on Saturday. Yeah, a couple comments that came out from the coaches talking about it was one, I can't recall if it was Mike Norbell or defensive coordinator Adam Fuller, but one of them referenced the expectation, the intention of having multiple defensive tackles on the field, more than two at a given time at certain times in certain packages. None of that is surprising. We reference that whenever recruiting guys like Braden Fisk out of the portal, but it's good to hear them say it. It's good to know it's going to exist. They kind of did that in reverse last year with defensive ends using a number of them on the field together. And I don't think they're going to go away from that. I think it's just going to allow them to be a little bit more multiple to kind of mess with opponents in different ways. On the Patrick Payton tidbit, he was a guy that was talked about by uh, Norbell Fuller, as well as special teams coordinator and defensive ends coach, John Papuchas, who's his positional coach, uh, about how much he's just developing. And the namely, namely, the development is in the run game. He's becoming a stronger, more physical player and every down defensive end, not solely viewed as an electric speed pass rush and kind of guy. Uh, Zach, one thing I always find interesting, I know you were really consumed by recruiting during the, the scrimmage portion, but I, I always find it interesting when recruits that get to watch the scrimmage talk about it. So there were a couple defensive linemen here. Uh, Elias Rudolph comes to mind now at Deerfield Beach from Ohio. FSU commitment, Jamori Flagg from Miami. South Florida area. They were both here. What did they kind of say about what the defensive line did on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, well, I didn't know this, but Jamari Flagg's actually, I guess, related to Patrick Payton. Um, so he noted really? it on him, of course. Um, and and that was pretty cool to, to learn. And you know, he he just talked about his dominant performance. And obviously that was echoed by the coaching staff afterwards and just you know how improved of a player Pat Payton has been um over the past year and two years, really. Um just crazy development there, but yeah, that was a, that was a player of note. Um, they mentioned some of the interior defensive linemen, honestly, like can't remember exact players that they mentioned, but Pat Payton was definitely one that was mentioned by multiple guys. Yeah. I think Rudolph's comment was something along the lines of they just really get after it. Like he was very impressed by how the defensive line is so active. Um, I just always find it interesting because those guys are kind of coming in with a clean view of it all. They haven't heard all the preseason talk or the spring talk. They haven't heard the narratives per se, and they just kind of give you that singular moment view, and it's always interesting to me. All right, so if the D-line is doing great, that means the O-line isn't doing great, right? Isn't that how this all works? You know, if you're getting turnovers, it means the offense is struggling. If the offense is scoring touchdowns, it means the defense is struggling. Chris, if Adam Fuller's watching this, takeaways, not turnovers. Takeaways, yes. I'm sorry, Adam. I'm sorry. I usually lead that charge for you, buddy, for the brand. So O-line, what do we make of it? What What's some of the footnotes that need to be included when talking about what the O-line did on Saturday? So so real quick before I go to the O-line, can I throw one more thing on Patrick Payton? Uh, sure. I know we've talked about him a little bit, but I no. would love to – never mind, moving on to the offensive line. Oh, I was told, uh, talking to a source this weekend, that he was a quote-unquote terror rushing the quarterback over uh, over the weekend on Saturday. And – Chris mentioned some of the the run stopping ability, and I just want to like shine a little bit of light, like on a uh, on a rep that he had on on Thursday. It was early on in, in team drills, I think, uh, third down drills. Uh, but regardless, uh, there was something where they were trying FSU was trying to do a a counter, some kind of pulling action with its offensive alignment to get outside to get Trey Benson to bounce outside. And Patrick Payton was so violent in how he set the edge that he and so powerful 
that he was able to take one offensive lineman and just halt him completely. And it causes basically this like three car pileup where the other offensive lineman polling got like jarred back or he got jarred the guy he hit into the other offensive lineman polling. And that then led him into falling into uh, Trey Benson and the play pretty much just ended there because the defense was able to rally to it. But that's the kind of play. And yes, it's a singular play, uh, but that's what FSU coaches are talking about. And they're saying that he's getting stronger and more, developed as a run stopper and a more complete player like we know he has pass rush moves he does a lot of really fun things things that that frankly I think kind of surprise his his fellow teammates and coaches alike uh, with some of the agility and uh and bend that he he brings to the table but him showing these signs and the wingspan and yeah at six foot five for him to do it at that size is, is what's so impressive the fact that he's getting stronger more functional strength and it's showing up um, that's that's a really good sign for FSU, especially with the future of Derek McClendon being kind of up in the air. Uh, and I do just on, on a side note too, I, I'm not totally convinced that some of the love, like they are making sure they they show love to Patrick Payton. Uh, I'm not getting this from anyone inside the program. This is just me connecting dots. I think a little of that's to put some pressure on Derek McClendon as well as he's kind of up in the air right now. So, but Patrick Payton is doing extremely well. Um, on the offensive line, Chris, yeah, when, when one one unit is is doing great. Another one isn't typically is how that works in practice. A few things though, that I think for context, as we talk about and decide for the offensive line here, uh, number one during the scrimmage, I don't know how active Marie Smith was. And we know that Robert Scott's limited. So those are two guys who are probably going to factor into your starting lineup in, in 2023 that aren't going I mean, center and left tackle, presumably. And those are the two most important positions on the offensive line. Uh, you're without them. So. That, that's a starting point. Uh, Casey Roddick, he's talked about trying to learn some center. I think FSU ultimately is going to put him at guard. That's just my projection, seeing him play at guard. You're like, oh, yes, that that's what it's supposed to look like. But they want to push Marie Smith, and they want to have a guy who's capable at center in case something happens to Marie Smith. It's snapping important to you. Uh, so, But he, he's just a few practices into learning center and did it in a full-bore scrimmage this, this weekend. Maybe not a great sign of like, or great indication of what he can be. It's a tough, a tough way to evaluate him. Did hear that Keandre Jones struggled a little bit in the scrimmage. Um, so far through the practice, we've been able to see his good is really good. Uh, his bad it leads to some unwarranted pressures, and he, he just has to get a little quicker, a little better. Uh, heard really good praise on Darius Washington, just very solid. Bless Harris sounded like he did all right too. Still working himself back into to game shape after missing last year. So a lot of the issues I think were happening internally. Uh, for the for the offensive line, um, but but again, that makes sense. You you're still kind of figuring out what's going to happen with Dimitri Emanuel and and his waiver. Uh, you have injuries that you're kind of dealing with too. So, uh, yeah, yeah, some some good, some bad on the offensive line. But again, that, that's not atypical this early on in in a camp. Yeah, and Alex Atkins added context to it too. There was a good bit of mix and match, which Brendan alluded to. There's a couple guys, Wes Harris, for example, Keandre Jones, I believe falls in this category, who are dealing with some ailments or coming off of some things that are going to limit their full potential of what they ultimately can be, should be for this team. I, I'm not overly concerned with Elon. I think the depth as good as FSU's had on that bunch in a decade. And I think they're going to figure out their best five and then their next five. And it's a rare occasion where FSU actually has a full next five, but they're going to in this bunch. So I'm not all that worried about it. And also they don't have all their pieces right now. And it's also about, and I understand like when the bullets fly, get guys get hurt and somebody has to be inserted, but there is something to when a guy knows how to go on his left shoulder and his right shoulder play, 
there's a continuity to it, a gelling, and that doesn't happen five, six practices in, especially when three of your key pieces are new transfers getting used to it in Jeremiah Byers, Roddick, and Jones. So something worth keeping an eye on. Uh, Zach, you got anything on O-line you want to add or on to the next? On to the next. All right. Well, most important position on the football field, quarterbacks. QB1 for FSU, Jordan Travis. Everybody knows that. He sat out. That was by plan. That was what Mike Norvell intended to do. He shared that with the media during practice last week, and we shared it with you. Do we make anything of Jay Travis sitting out? Does it matter? Or was this all about getting 38 to 40 reps on average for the other three guys in the room and allowing Brock Glenn to go live and face some real-life bullets? What do you make of it all, Brendan? That's exactly what it, it was, Chris. Uh, I'm not going to freak out about Jordan Travis not getting scrimmage reps behind what's basically a, a half of a first string offensive line in late March. I, I think, uh, yes, there's a good, and I'm not sure how like active, like say Johnny Wilson or maybe some other players were in the scrimmage, some other number ones too, like Trey Benson, if yeah, he's in green. I mean, yeah. Fabian Lovett's one that Mike Norvell referenced as being on a limited count yeah. on Saturday, for example. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's it's March. If Jordan Travis were to go spraying an ankle on on this Saturday scrimmage, what would people be doing? We know what Jordan Travis is more or less at this point, and, and there is going to be plenty of time for him to develop continuity and chemistry with some younger wide receivers who may be taking on bigger roles, new tight ends, just developing what he already has with with Johnny Wilson. But there's not a huge need to do that right now here in March. So that perspective, I'm totally fine with. I get it. Uh, this is something that the coaches talked about, checked with some sources as well this weekend. So, I mean, this is on record from, from Norvell talking about it, but I think that the FSU really likes the ownership that Jordan Travis took like during the sideline, even though he wasn't going uh, live in the game uh, and did a really good job of mentoring some of the younger guys. And that's important. And this is just a continuation of Jay Trav being, um, being the leader that, that we we know he is, we think he is, and he's just continuing to reaffirm that, which is obviously a really good sign. Yeah, I've seen him do that at practice multiple times. Like a receiver will mess up, you know, some kind of route, whether it's, you know, he's too shallow on a route or whatever, right? And after that play um, or after that period, Jay Trav will go over to them and kind of talk it over and explain what went wrong and, and how to fix it. Um, and, you know, that's from our point of view, but he does that pretty consistently. I mean, we'll probably see it once a practice or so. Um, and I think that's just what you want out of the leader of your team. And, and it's awesome to see in, in action. Yeah, the continuing evolution of Jordan Travis is apparent. He's become much more vocal, much more comfortable being a leader. It's not an area he was super comfortable with earlier in his career. And even at times, I think last year, but he now is. And I think that's on full display. Mike Norvell called his performance through five spring practices prior to the scrimmage elite. We all know how I combat the usage of that word, but it has been. He's been phenomenal. He It's been consistently top-notch from beginning to end of every practice. I can't remember a singular stretch where I was like, man, Jordan's just not having a good day. There hasn't been one of those yet. So no concerns there. I will say I was super excited, and I am a bit of the fan club president with Brock Glenn, but I was very excited by what we heard about what he did. I know there was some bad mixed in, which you expect for a freshman in their first scrimmage when they're turned live, but there was also some really, really good. And I think the best thing about Brock Glenn is how he pushes guys ahead of him. It makes it a little more uncomfortable when there is truly a competition going on instead of you're just accepting your role. That's That's what – Brock Lynn, maybe his biggest value 
as of right now, the spring is Chris is that he's going to make other people around him uncomfortable and will. What's the what's the saying with with diamond and pressures? Do we know what that that is, or am I going to take us derailing it? Something about you can just edit it in, just okay. throw it in there, just mix it in. Nobody will know. Okay, that's great. That's going to take up no time at all for me. <laughs> um, Brock Glenn, you know, again, he's a true freshman. He should be. Well, what all the all the cliches are when you talk about an early enrollee should be prepared. Getting for ready for right his now. high school prom. Yeah, uh, but but it is true. I mean, he, he is a teenager, and he is he is throwing the ball against grown men, guys who are 21, 22 years old going against pass rush with, with some veterans who've been around the block too. And and so there were some good moments. There were some bad, I think they would love like for him to have like have some checks back and just a few more things with controlling the offense a little bit better uh, stuff that he can control, right. Is sometimes your, your arm strength and your arm talent and whatnot. It's just, you can't always control that in a live scrimmage setting, but um Overall, they liked the way he commanded the huddle. They liked the way he handled himself on the sidelines. Whenever he had a chance to go in the game, he was apparently already going to the scrimmage. He was just super excited about it. And, you know, he seems to make the most of every opportunity. He takes it really seriously. And that's the thing we heard about him as a recruit is he's highly competitive, takes his craft very seriously. And any coach that we spoke to on record, any Anyone who was at the scrimmage, any intel we've gotten and making calls after, like it's all been this the consistent theme. It's like, yeah, it could have been areas where it could have been a little bit sharper, but man, they feel like they have something really good with Brockland because of just how mature he is and how he's carrying himself. And then when he flashes a few nice throws, as well as some really impressive athleticism, mind you, he was live. Like he he did not have a green jersey on for this scrimmage. He was he was allowed to be hit and he handled himself really well. And, and that is uh, he passed the first test, I guess is maybe the, the best way to, to put it. How many ways did Alex Atkins use to describe how he did? Way, 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 way better than he expected, I think it was. So, yeah. Four. Four. And, again, and I, don't I don't think, think Alex that... Atkins just wanted to just shovel praise right. for the heck of it. Like, yeah. like the kid they're not gassing. They're not gassing him up to gas him up. Maybe yeah. it's a, a way of, of letting everyone else in that quarterback room know, Tate and, and AJ, like, hey, like this kid could could come for your stuff if you don't if you don't tighten up. But but I think ultimately like what Brock's doing is is very real. Um and, and it's yeah. we all feel the same. I think all three of us have been there. We all feel the same way about the way he carries himself. We'll have to see how he develops. This isn't us anointing him as as a future star, but like he has the moxie, the 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 mindset, the wherewithal that you want in a and a quarterback at this level. And, and ultimately, like I said earlier, that, that is, that is an encouraging early sign here. Yeah. I just wanted to add, you know, as a recruit, uh, Brock was obviously committed to Ohio state. That was kind of a surprising thing at the time, right? Because when you look at Ohio state's quarterback outlook, uh, Brocklin really didn't have that much of a shot of, of getting any playing time with, you know, the, the guy they had in there currently. And then obviously they had at the time, the top 2024, quarterback that was committed uh dylan rayola who's since decommitted but when brock glenn committed to ohio state he was in the class so um a guy that just is i think absolutely loves competition and is not scared to compete um even if you know these guys have been in uh, mike norvell's offensive system for multiple years he's just so good for that room um and, and i think we've talked about it at length on here but i think especially with aj duffy like push him along a little bit right make him feel a little bit more uncomfortable because um, I think that's exactly what he needs to continue his, you know, development uh, within this system. 
Yeah, two quick things to add on Glenn. One, they did say there's those he would want back and he'll learn from on, on film. So there are things he did that were miscues. But the other thing is, uh, a year ago, A.J. Duffy at times seemed scared or did not have an interest in making throws that may not pay off for him, which is weird to me because he was going to be the number three quarterback regardless of the circumstances. With Brock Glenn, there are times where there's a willingness. Yeah, I'm going to take the shot. I believe in my arm. I believe in the ability. There's a window. I'm going to go for it. I just think there's something to that. I like it. And I think it has helped Duffy. I think Duffy's been better this spring. And I think a big reason for that is Brock Glenn. I think it's just helped him along with natural maturity that comes with age and experience. I think it's helped him along. All right, enough on quarterbacks. The next two questions kind of, I think, fall in line with one another. The first one is who else stood out on Saturday, but the next one is who's the king of the spring so far. And I feel like the answer is probably the same for both of those with the first name that's going to come out of your mouth. Oh, I okay. I think Chris just tipped his hand of who he thinks it is. So let's talk about Chris, who you think is the king of the spring. All day Dre. It is all day Dre. He's been good constantly. Mike Norvell can't say enough nice things about him. He's a competitor. I think I said that on the last podcast, and then I believe that was said by Mike Morvell on Saturday, and it's true. It's the greatest quality in the kit. Like He's athletic. He's talented. He catches the ball well and all of that, but he competes his backside off, and he does it constantly, and that's what's going to make him a guy that's going to be really tough to keep off the field despite a very good wide receiver room. The injury to Micah Pittman has certainly opened up the capability for him to have a role, in my opinion. And he continued that trend on Saturday, making more plays and again getting more praise. Zach, are, are the kids still saying "most"? Is that a is that a vernacular? That's, that's I feel like that's kind of going out the window, but I guess a little bit. Well, I'll bring it back for this episode. Apparently, he mossed it's, a, a. It's DB. still a segment on ESPN, so I mean, I, I think it still has some. Relevance. Like, when was the last time Randy Moss played? Like, it's gonna be like Madden, where like people yeah. don't really know who who John Madden was. It's just it's it's something else. Um, although Randy Moss not not as old as well, no. Oh boy. All right. Moving on. Um, no, but uh all day Dre apparently uh went up and got the ball in a um a pretty spectacular fashion over a DB for for a touchdown. And he had a few nice catches on the day, from my understanding. Again, we're we're not there at the scrimmage, uh, but it, it sounds like it was a uh another day in which there I'll put it this way, there has not been a day where he hasn't done something that's caught my attention. And I, yeah, Zach's shaking his head right now for for people listening on the podcast. He he's been really good. Um is he the king of the spring, though? I mean, the king of the spring yes. to me, <laughs> the king of the spring to me does have an element of like someone. I mean, it, it was initially uh, bestowed upon Treshawn Ward, right? And so it is a, it was done kind of as a, uh, it represents someone who kind of came out of nowhere, right? Kind of surprised us with how good they were, how consistently and basically leveled up like the way we're going to view them in the off season as someone who could potentially help, I think is, or help more than we had expected going into the spring. So Dre's a really good, good one for that, Chris. Um, I have a list of about 10 to 12. I'm trying to narrow it down because the, the fan base wants the, our readership wants a power ranking. So I'm trying to get it down to 10. Uh, my first name I thought of when I was creating the list and it's different because we are, have been really, leading this hype train for a while, but I don't know if like it's as consistent, like if every single fan is going to feel the same way about this player as I do. And, and he had a phenomenal scrimmage. That's Rodney Hill, uh, FSU second year running back. I, I was told, I mean, coaches talked about him on record, obviously, but I was told that he was, he was excellent. Um, he's Confident going to be a, comfortable. 
yeah, he his, he's described to me as someone who is going to develop into a dynamic back. You mentioned confident and comfortable. That's how the coaches talked about him on record uh, after the scrimmage on Saturday, Chris. But I think what's what stands out is like just how far he's come in a year. And, and last spring, he was he was quick. He was decisive. There was some juice there, right? Like we all saw it, and it was impressive. And now he's starting to blend it with power, and we're starting to see kind of like Patrick Payton that built by Storbs. Uh, effect is starting to take in a little bit with him. Uh, it sounds like he was just making one big play after another. I think his very first touch went for a touchdown, uh, missing tackles. Someone described him as running violently to me. So, so just Rodney Hill is someone that I think we collectively, we as as Knowles twenty four seven members who are at practice consistently, we're, we're buying in on. Uh, I am telling everyone else buy stock in him now. Uh, he is he is a front runner, king of the spring for me. Zach, what what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think we're forgetting someone here, and that's Kentron Portier. Um, the dude has been absolutely dominant throughout the first third of the spring ball. Um, I just think besides, you know, maybe Johnny Wilson, he's been the most consistent wide receiver. Dre Jacobs has been impressive, but I think we're, we're putting a little bit too much attention on him because he's a freshman. I think that he's done an excellent job, and he's a guy that's absolutely stood out this spring. But Kentron, man... I just think he's playing himself into to being a starting receiver. Um, he's stepping up. He's a guy that stepped up um, in that latter portion of 2022 and a guy that that really impressed on Saturdays. And I think early on in spring ball, he looks like he can do pretty much everything as a wideout now. Um, he made that obviously incredible one-handed grab. I think it was the third or fourth spring practice. Um, there's a photo of it on his Instagram that you can see. It's pretty crazy. I didn't realize he got up that, that high. Um, but Man, he's impressive, and and he's just a guy that I think um, has kind of just stepped up when he needed to. Um, and his development's been pretty impressive. I remember him as a, a high school prospect out of Miami. He was a late addition for Florida State, um, I think in the, what, 2019 class, 2020? I don't know. Um, but a couple years ago, and, um, you know, back then he was a basketball player, so we knew he was bouncy. Um, but it took him a little bit to develop an FSU's program but he stuck with it and Ron Dugans has done an excellent job with him. And I think he's really shown out early on in spring. And he's someone yeah, I think, who uh, real quick, he's someone that apparently had a really good scrimmage, but a couple big plays were taken back because uh, of penalties. I think one was on him pushing off. So uh, you know, something to clean up, but yeah, I think it was a holding penalty as well. So, but someone you still hey, like, don't, don't hate on my King of the spring. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying, keep it real. Let's keep it 100. Are the kids saying that still? I think Tron's consistency is extremely impressive because that's always been the thing. Like the highlights have always been there, but it would come and it would go and it's been much more consistent throughout the spring. Uh, Obviously I'm all about Dre right now. Uh, I think the impressive thing about Dre is like, I was very high on him as a high school prospect. And I certainly thought he was going to come in here and be successful as a college player. It's just ahead of schedule in my regard. And Rodney Hill is a guy we loved last year. There were times we wanted to see him in games last year. The only problem with that running back room is keeping everybody happy. I mean, there, you know, there's a great deal of talent in that room. Obviously, Trey Benson at the top, but you got Lawrence Tofilly, Kazai Holmes, CJ Campbell is also in that mix, and then Rodney Hill as well. I think it's about finding a role for all of them and kind of figuring it out. The great thing about that room is those guys are not selfish. They very much cheer for one another, care for one another, and they're in it for one another. And that's a very good thing. And that's a credit to Yak. He does a very good job of kind of shaping and modeling that room where it allows them to have that much talent at their disposal without uh, discontent. So that's a good thing. feel like we did uh, 
couple go ahead brennan i was gonna say with running back real quick like it's funny you see like you mentioned that that personality that room that's like a, a fallout well, maybe not fallout but it, it's a trickle down effect from like trey sean ward and jay sean corbin as well like those guys rooted for yes. each other and like i th- i think of that room very similar to how i feel like the defensive line room or defensive head room like you see guys pass along traits to each other even the offensive line room like they are they do the fist pump before every play that's a dylan gibbons-esque type of type of thing they got from him um it's cool to see that, to see uh, mannerisms or behaviors of players who are no longer here still exist. I think that's yeah, a good cult, culture is handed down, and I think that is certainly the case. Jay Sean Corbin's as unselfish of a human as they come, mm-hmm. um, and Trey Benson's right there in line with it. And it's pretty impressive when you're talking about two guys who one who is playing on Sundays with the New York Giants and another one who will probably play on Sundays for sure where they kind of lead that room that way. And they're cheering just as much for the next guy up. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a very good trait. Uh, offensively, I think, you know, tight ends, we haven't talked about them. Kyle Morlock got some praise for a couple of things he did. Jaheim Bell was talked about his versatility. I thought Alex Atkins had a very eye-opening quote about tight ends and what the, the improvement of that room brings to the fold as far as being able to manipulate in formations and do different things. Uh, we saw how wide receiver changed last year and how it changed the offense. I think tight ends, next level stuff for FSU. What are they going to do differently this year? Well, I think the tight end is going to play a great deal into that. Uh, one negative with that group and negative in general that Mike Norvell mentioned was penalties in the scrimmage. I think the tight end group got called for a couple, probably I would presume clutching at the line of scrimmage type of situations in the run game that brought plays back. Brendan mentioned a couple uh, Tron plays coming off the board because of penalties. There are some others. Alex Atkins referenced, you know, guys doing stuff. He 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 doesn't like pre-snap penalties because that's mental. He doesn't like after-snap penalties because it takes away plays. One's more infuriating than the other, but he doesn't like any of them. They got to clean them up. That's kind of why you have scrimmages, why you have ACC officials at the scrimmage, and why you figure it out. From an offensive standpoint, I think that's about everything. I think we unloaded the car. I love that they had the. I love they had the ACC officials just to prepare for how bad it's going to be during the season. <laughs> and they they do also have them during some practices. They they do a good job of bringing officials in to have that real hanky effect. And do the nice thing in that setting, not so much in a scrimmage because the scrimmage is going full octane, but in a practice when a flag is thrown, there can be a conversation between player and official of what did I do wrong, and the officials will also usually. I'll notice this sometimes. So essentially like you lined up the wrong way. You need to take a step back. The guy opposite of you was on the line. You were on the line. One of you has to be off stuff like that. Like the conversations are had. And I think it's beneficial. I think it's why FSU in general plays a little bit cleaner style in season under the staff than prior ones. Uh, offensively, anything else said? Uh, I'm going down the notes here. No, I think that was everything on the offense. Do a good job. Uh, streaming through. All right. That. So, Defense will uh will it will be brought to you by Mission Takeaway just to make Adam Fuller happy. There were a few on the day. Jerry and Jones had an interception in the scrimmage, as did Christian White when the walk-ons, who's a good contributing walk-on for them, a guy mm-hmm. that definitely helps him in the practice setting. And then uh Renardo Green, aka Wolverine, blocked a field goal. I believe You're right at a the short start of field goal practice. situation. Yeah. Yeah. Very early on. Uh do we do we want to talk about kicking? I know that's on the tip of your tongue, Brennan. I know not everybody nope. loves it, but nope. you don't want to talk about it? I don't, Would you I color mean, it as a concern through six? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. 
Um, it's only six. So like, yes, but yeah. Do I feel, do I feel comfortable with, with kicking right now? Not particularly. No. Is kicking important to you? Yes. Very, especially when you're going to be uh, contending for what FSU thinks is going to be contending for, which is meaningful, meaningful games. Um, Seven defensively, three, right? that's what we're going to do. Yes. Yeah. Just score touchdowns every time. It's fine. Take, take, take kicking out of the, out of the equation. You'll be fine. Uh, defensively, we talked about dominant uh, two, two talking points that I want to throw to you guys. Uh, well, one, I guess one talking point, I'll just drop some scoop real quick. Uh, this is going to be a big stretch for Daryl Jackson, I think coming up in the, in the next, uh, how many more practices 11 that they got coming up, Chris, um, he Nine started more. math. He started off so dominantly and it looked so impressive and he wasn't bad by any stretch on, on Saturday scrimmage, but we didn't hear his name a whole lot from who we talked to and, I think there is some concern internally that not, not concerned. That's not the right way to phrase it. Uh, it was noticed that it was, he looked more like the Miami version of him, I think, than maybe the, the, what they've seen through the first five or so practices. Uh, and he had tailed off a little bit, even like this past week, we didn't, I didn't feel his presence as much like say on Thursday's practices as I had yeah, the week before. Uh, that's going to be part of his evolution though, is like getting him to a point where he's a, a, a fine capable starter to where he's unlocking what he can be, which we've seen signs of now, which is a, a utterly dominant force. Uh, so it, Josh farmer was great on Saturday. He was really, really, really good on Thursday as well. There's going to be competition there. And so we're going to see how, how Josh farmer responds or excuse me, how Daryl Jackson responds to it uh, coming up here. This is going to be a big stretch for him. I think uh, defensively. Yeah, Daryl's not the- Daryl's not the only one, though. Uh, one, I enjoyed Adam Fuller sideswiping Daryl Jackson's previous institutions for maybe not coaching him up as necessary. I did enjoy that. Um, I think Daryl Jackson can be described as a light switch guy. When he's on, it's pretty unbelievable, but it also does get turned off at times, and he's going to have to learn to be a more consistent player. Gilbert mm-hmm. Edmonds, the other name I was going to throw out there, he's a ceiling guy. I think if you ask the staff, they would probably tell you he might have the highest ceiling of any guy in that entire room if you can fully tap into what he is potentially and as he develops. And the nice thing with him is he wants to develop. He talked about that being part of the reason he transferred here. He's talked about it since he got here and the staff has echoed that. Um, I mean, with Gilbert, it's just going to be how fast does he come along? How good is he? You know, they got Burris and Peyton ahead of him, so they're comfortable with that. But Gilbert is a guy, especially if DMAC was to leave the program, whose importance will become increased. So it's important that he continues to develop and maybe tap into it and just, you know, become the player you can. But I think spring's very important for Gilbert because not only is he learning the language and how to work with John Papuchas, but it's also about competing against a pretty talented O-line and among a very talented group of peers in the defensive line group. Go ahead, Brendan. No, I, I agree. That, that's that's well put, Chris. Uh, but what I want to get – what I want to ask you guys, you started off talking about the defense, Chris, about mission takeaway – and I would love, this might be fun for you, Chris, because I know you, you like to do your, your digging. How many takeaways has FSU's defense created through six practices this spring compared to last spring? And not that you have to go and find that right now. If you have it, that's um, incredible. And that would, yeah, he's going to later. I could feel it. Like, all we needed is for Chris to lick his lips like, and bring out the iPad. And we got the iPad. Yep, we're mm-hmm. done. Uh, but I think that's noteworthy, <laughs> that's noteworthy that they have been very active with takeaways this spring we've just noticed just the eye test like they they are making plays the dbs are uh some of the balls finding them but there is 
sometimes it just means you're in the right place and you're doing the right thing. When it's happening consistently, it's probably not a not a coincidence, right? And so is this a matter of just more experience of this group? Is it quarterback play maybe not being as sharp at times? Or is it people want to know, is this like a Patrick Sertan effect? What's happening? Do we notice all the takeaways happening more often? Am I crazy with that? I think there's a, been a good amount of takeaways. I don't know how it compares year over year. The one thing I'll add is I don't think the first team offense is giving it away a whole lot. I think they've been pretty good. I think FSU in general is pretty good about ball security in the sense of not fumbling it, not you know handing it off to the defense. Interception wise, I think it's been more so reserve quarterbacks and Jordan Travis, who's been extremely good. I I can remember maybe one, maybe two times that Jordan's been picked all spring so far. I actually, and honestly, I can only remember one off the top of my head. Yeah, um, one in a seven on seven uh, that I could remember. So so yeah, a couple, but that's fine. Yeah, it's been been a lot of but uh, through five. I think I think it's been a massive point of focus, and it always is. Um, you know, don't commit penalties block up front and take care of the ball and you win a lot of football games. Those are kind of very basic things, but they're reiterated on a daily basis. But I I do think there's a degree of we're going to be very aggressive. We want to be aggressive. And I think in this kind of loops into the defensive discussion, you bring in Fentrell Cypress, it locks up that number one cornerback spot for you, or at least that's the expectation. I think so far they feel comfortable about that. You move Duke Cooper to safety, filling Jamie Robinson the shoes and so far, I think they've been confident in what he's brought to that role. And then they're rolling a lot of guys through corner and nickel over there. Greedy Vance has been praised a good bit for what he's done. He earned that again on Saturday. And then you got, you know, Jerry and Jones, who's played pretty consistent ball and definitely improved upon where he was 12 months ago and 24 months ago in this program. And then you have a lot of other guys, AZ Thomas, for example, uh, the new guys like Quindarius Jones, KJ Kirkland, who's had a very strong spring so far and been very good. I think it's a matter of they're finding guys that fit roles, but they also want guys to be able to play multiple roles and they want to be able to change the picture on opposing teams, both up front with using a multitude of different defensive linemen in a multitude of ways. And in the back half with using different size, different bodies, different skill sets in different roles. And with some of that, it's like, Oh, this looks similar to what I just saw, but it's different people. You try to make the same play while a different person can make a different play on the ball. Therefore it creates a turnover. I think ultimately that's the end game goal for FSU's defense this year is to just create so many different looks maybe something that looks the same from an alignment standpoint very different from the usage of people standpoint and create opportunities to it I think that's what they're going to work very hard to be and to do and there's no doubt in my mind that I think the DB room is probably a little bit more tuned into a different coach being there than maybe they were with a guy that they had dealt with over a couple of years. And I think that's just a natural order of coaching change. But I think Pat's a guy that demands some respect because of what he's done at the highest level. And yeah, that's probably helped that room to some degree. Yeah. I'll just quickly add, I think, I mean, I remember last week that play by greedy Vance where he picked it off um, working in the slot. It was just, that's probably the best play I've seen him make in his FSU career. And that included obviously some clutch interceptions last season. Um, that was just perfect coverage. I, I said it before he even made the interception. I was talking to Dane. It's like that. I mean, that's just like perfect. And then he goes and picks it off and it was just an ultra impressive play. And and I think that's just a, a good example of, I think Florida state's defensive backs are playing a little bit more aggressive this spring. Um, and maybe that's why we're, it's leading to uh, more takeaways. I mean, that might be anecdotal. I don't, I don't know, you know what, what it's looking like compared to last year, but 
Um, but definitely, you know, guys like Greedy Vance, Jerry and Jones, like those guys have been impressive and, and it's definitely been noticeable, um, you know, how much more aggressive they've been this spring. I, I thought Brendan had something else. I, I gave him the, the courteous Thank pause. You. I appreciate um, it. But, but real quick, Chris, you've looked over to yeah. the, your right twice. What's happening? What's happening up there? Uh, so I have a security camera system in the house. And because the power went off here, I had to reset it this morning. But like light is glimmering off the pool in the bag. It's it's weird. It looks like rays literally hitting the pool. Beautiful. Um, so it just keeps grabbing my attention out of the corner of my eye. I'm sorry. There's what, what type... It's fine. There was one time we shot up like this. I thought something something bad was happening. It just it well, I thought something was falling into the pool, which is a little concerning when you're home by yourself and you have a fence around your backyard. So I was just trying to make sure that everything was good. I didn't know if I was going to have to get up and jet it to the back of the house. <laughs> um, defensively, but the only other thing I can really remember coming out of Saturday that was discussed, talked about, we talked a good bit about up front in the secondary. So in between linebackers, they're pushing Omar Graham. We've talked about that before. That was reiterated by, I believe, Adam Fuller was talking about it, that Omar is a guy that, because he has now been here for a full year, they want him to be a key depth piece, and they are pushing him very hard to be that. And I think he's responded well. Omar is a smart kid. He's a hardworking kid. And he's a guy who got a great deal of work with the coaches up close and personal. He's essentially like a scout team depth guy last year who wasn't going to play, but he leaned into it and he took to it and he worked very hard in it. I think they're seeing some returns on that this year. And again, just to reiterate the point that we talked so much about a year ago, this program, it used to be where we kind of viewed guys as the exact same for a majority of their career. Guys get better. Like it's made, we talked about Pat Payton. Uh, Duke Cooper feels like a guy having to bounce back to be a little bit more like what he was two years ago versus what he was last year, which was a tough year for him while he was banged up. Um, you know, Greedy Vance is another one. Tron's another one. Both of those guys drastically more consistent than they used to be. There's just a constant improvement going on within the roster, and it's refreshing to see. And I think it's what sets them up to not only be really good up front and, you know, on the top 11 on each side of the ball, but the depth is going to be really, really good on this football team. And I think it's good that guys that we expected to be good have been good, but we're also talking about guys that can help them, you know, if someone got banged up or if they just need to simply have a series or two where they have to go to the reserves. I think you feel a hell of a lot more confident in what you have right now as far as like your 44 deep, your even your 55 deep best players on this football team. Yeah, the this has been two years of it now, and I think we, uh, like us guys covering it, are now expecting growth, right? Yeah. Like, and it, it wasn't always that way. I think we had to remind ourselves at the time, like, guys will get better. They can get better. Uh, Jordan Travis being Second. a prime example of that. But, like, there's more – I mean, it's across the board. It's, it's all over. The we place. didn't talk about them, but second-year O-linemen, they've all looked better. I, mean, I heard Julian some really good things about Julian Armella with yeah. that with that uh, development. Like I had someone tell me the other day, is like he just keeps getting better, and like good. Yeah. Like that's that's what it's supposed to be. And and now you have this. Listen, that's going to lead to some uncomfortability too, because there's so much competition. But that's like by design. Like this is what this is what Mike Norvell's wanted. This is what he's visioned as a program. And it's fun, like even listening to like Adam Fuller before the spring talk about like just from a a depth perspective of a alignment, like who they, who they have and what they can do with the defense that Chris alluded to earlier. This is what it's supposed to look like. And it's taken them a little while to get here, but I think they all feel, all the coaches feel very confident with the composition of this roster and what they can do schematically, but more so just culturally, like how it, how it's being handled. Um, with the situation that's, that's happening with Derek McClendon, like 
I think it's interesting talking to people who are familiar with some players on the team and like, it's not well received and and that's fine. Like that's, and, and hopefully Derek like makes a decision that he thinks is best for him. I like Derek McClendon, but like the fact that, that years ago there would be like a player who wouldn't be happy with something and it would trickle throughout others. It would impact other people. Um, maybe not as widespread, like when DJ Matthews tried to leave a player revolt and, and no one joined him. Uh, but there were people who were angsty with, with him. Uh, and that's not the case now. Everyone's very businesslike, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and there's not time for players who aren't handling their business. That's being corrected quickly or being moved on from quickly. It's not stagnating. Uh, rot is not like taking over a position group and, you know, it, it's early in the spring. We're going to see how this team gets tested in the season. When something bad happens, how do you respond? Typically it's been pretty good, but yeah, like the development of this program from a physical standpoint, from just an emotional cultural standpoint, like it's really, really good. And it's been fun to cover. It's probably been the most fun I've had like out at practice or just covering this program since, since I've been covering the team in 10 years, maybe, maybe since 2013. It's just, it, it, it it's impressive because it's, it's moving in a good direction. It's humming right now. So that portion was brought to you by Kool-Aid. So now we're going to move on to Byer Sinone, brought to you by the Turner Group. The Turner uh, Group. Brandon, I'm, I'm going to hand the reins to you because you have the Byer Sinone questions as a namesake of the segment. Uh, I do, and it's a special Byer Sinone. I'll get into that in a second. But shout out to the Turner Group, Colin, Amy Turner, FSU grads. Uh, they, uh, they, they do an excellent job in Central Florida. And throughout the state of Florida and making sure people are really comfortable and confident in the home buying or home selling process. It's not an easy process necessarily, but they make it as easy as possible. Uh, and they put a lot of pride in, into doing it that way. It's not a huge operation, but they work really hard and, and they make a lot of deals because of it. So you have the efficiency of of being able to get a hold of someone like Colin quickly and he'll help you walk through every step of the way and you're not just another number with him. Um, but because he works so hard, like it's going to have the level of effectiveness of of a big agency. And that's a sweet spot that you really want as a home buyer or seller. You can reach out to Colin at 407-403-8546. Email him at getstartedattheturnergroup.com. Even if you're considering it, even if you're just trying to gauge what the market is, call him, let him know on the bench sent you, talk about FSU spring practice for a little bit. Uh, help us out, uh, but really just get his get an idea of what he can do for you. If you're again in Central Florida, the state of Florida, if you're even considering entering the market, he can help you out. I really recommend it. Let's get into Byer Sinone here. This is an interesting Byer Sinone because I didn't open it up on the message board this time for Byer Sinones. I opened it up to a few uh, message board subscribers uh, who I'm in a group chat with, mainly Ivy, uh, IVB as we like to call them. And the name of the group chat is Daddy's Boys, which is not something that I decided to name them of. And well, there goes the PG rating. <clears throat> and Boys has a Z at the end of it. Uh, and I guess I'm Daddy in this example. So uh, Zach is unfortunately... Zach's Speaking of things that went out in the 90s. Zach's in this group as well. Yeah. Guys want to get started on it? <laughs> Please. Yeah. <laughs> this one comes from Ivy, Byers, Sinone, Dustin Hill. That's it. That's that's the buyer's know. Again, really? I'm going to punch on, Ivy next time I see him. Um, I, I revert back to my answer last time. Like, do I think it's realistically a possibility? Yes. Do I think it's a certainty? No. I think there are some things that have to be jumped through to make sure it happens. Is that a buyer's know? 
I I don't know. I think it's an or. It feels very much like an or to me. Chris is Chris isn't playing this game today. Uh, Zach, what do you say, Byer Sinone? Or okay. um, no, Sinone. Whoa, I'm buying. No, I'm just Sinoning on the the name Dustin Hill. I I like Dustin Pass on more. This is also from Ivy Byer Sinone. This is Patrick Payton's last year at FSU. So Ivy's drinking the Kool Aid. I I'll buy that. I uh you know when he came and spoke about FSU Georgia Tech in Ireland, um it was him, Marquiston Douglas, and Az Thomas. I had the moment of thinking in my head, I'm not sure Pat plays in that game. So yeah, I think it's certainly a possibility. If you're a really good pass rusher, you've already won ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year. You'll be in the discussion potentially for an ACC All ACC first or second team type of honor this year as a defensive end. You're probably going pro. That's great for FSU if he's good enough to go pro, because that means you would have two pro draftable defensive ends. When was the last time they had two guys at the defensive end that were both, uh, I guess, Josh Sweat and Brian Burns together and Demarcus Walker? That was a good defensive line. I mean, J. Rob and Kane Dobo got drafted, but yeah. I'm just saying they did. Factually, that is true. Did the play on the field for FSU say that? No, not so much, but I mean, they did. Did Kendo get drafted? How many sacks did he? Did he not have a sack and he got drafted in the third round in 2020? No, no need to to go back there. Uh, well, that's that's ambitious, Chris. I guess I hadn't considered that until Ivan's question. Um, because I think like the progression is like yeah, five sacks last year, you get to seven or eight this year with a slightly enhanced role, and then 2024, like you are the guy. Uh, so I would Sinone it, but like that would mean he's he made another he made a huge jump last year. That would mean another huge jump this year in production. So that would be good. Uh, Zach, high level, high level measurables, athletic, the wingspan. Yeah, if he is truly a more well rounded defensive end, kind of a complete package. Yeah, you know, yeah, those I, guys go. He's, right. he's a well developed kid. So Sinone because of battles end. Yeah, and I thought about that too. I mean, NIL has changed that game where if you're you're not a sure thing and you can still make pretty good money, yeah, come back. So that certainly exists. I, I don't disagree with Zach in that regard. I just I, – I go back to the FSU Georgia Tech when he talked and the first thought that popped in my head is I'm just not 100% sure he plays in that game. Like I'm not convinced he's here. So That's a good reminder. The battle's end. We are running a promo in conjunction with – the battle's end uh, through April 15th, which is a spring game. Basically you, so at battle's end, the battle's end is doing a donor match program. Any donations that occur at the battle's end, uh, which go to NIL opportunities for FSU football players and other athletes as well. Uh, they will have a donor match up to $500,000 of what they raise in this span. Uh, and as part of this promotion, we have teamed up with them and we are offering a free month at Knowles 24 seven, whether you're a current subscriber or someone who's been on the fence about joining, uh, you get a free month. Obviously you have to sign up with us if you're a new subscriber. Um, and we have details on the Knowles 24 seven website and message board on how to go about and doing that. But you know, whether it's a year you sign up for or a month, you get a, you get a month for free. So it's a good deal. And it goes to, if, if you're, want to find a way to support FSU football players, this is probably the best avenue to do it. Uh, next up, Byer Sinone. For, this is from Matt and, and Daddy's Boys Chat. Natty. Byer Sinone, Natty. Oh, I did have, let's, get to an, you, let's get to an ACC championship first. I did have someone ask me, like, who wins it? Who wins the, the playoff this year? And that's obvious, like, 
obviously think FSU could contend for it, but like Georgia and Alabama breaking in new quarterbacks. Uh, USC way out west. I mean, they bring back the Heisman Trophy winner, but you know they they had a lot of holes to to fill, and they lose some talent, wide receiver, defensive line. Um, Michigan, maybe. But my point being, we get Michigan. to Clemson, Michigan. We Ohio State's gonna be breaking a new quarterback. FSU with a veteran. If you're paying attention to like college college basketball and transfer rosters and veteran laden teams, uh, that, that's a good way to go. And if that has any trickle effect to football. I'm singing a why not us, why not now type of vibe for FSU. I'm going to Sonona. I, I can't in good faith say I think FSU is going to win a national title, but why the hell would they not be in a conversation? Maybe LSU in there as well. That that start of the season game is going to be a lot of fun. So I'll Sonona, but they are in the conversation. Sonona, but I agree with Brendan. I think they're going to be um, in contention for it, but I'm, I'm with Chris. Let's get an ACC championship dub first. Could they could they somehow get into the playoff without winning the ACC? Probably not this year. It's not expanding. I mean, if they if okay, so let's say they beat LSU, right? They lose Clemson, Clemson in the oh in the regular season. What if you like? What if you what if you win the regular season but lose? If to you split with ACC? Clemson, yeah. I mean, depends on how good Clemson is. Yeah, if Clemson loses. But if Clemson's a playoff contender and you split with them and you beat LSU, uh, good old strength of the schedule is we have to go to the computers. But, yeah, I, I think there's a realistic scenario where it's a possibility. All right, let's go to back to Ivy. Byers-Sanone, all day Dre plays 100-plus snaps this season as a freshman. I think that's only on offense. We're going to count special teams. Go ahead, Zach. 100 snaps that's a lot right that's i mean that would make him uh, over 12 games it would be an average of 8.5 per game roughly how many did josh burrell play last year that prevented us stake like 40 or something yeah i mean you you can get 40 in one game of garbage time depending on how early that that happens and he's somewhat huh you know what? I'm going to buy it because I think there'll be enough garbage time snaps. And I think he will, in some games, be integrated into like the game plan to where he'll have like enough like on both ends. He'll be burned on both ends there. Like, well, he'll be getting 30 or so real like first team snaps. And then he'll be able to do like multiple games of, of garbage time there to give him a lot of at bats, I think. So I'll, I'm going to buy it. I think that's realistic. How many total snaps did FSU have last year in 13 games? Was it? Over a thousand, right? Or uh, yeah, I'm pulling that up. To a thousand. I'm pulling it up. That sounds about right, Chris. It will be interesting to see. Side note: whether they amp up the tempo a little bit more, just because of all the weapons they have, whether they think that might you know benefit for them with depth and just uh, playmaking ability. Like whether you want to get more more reps. So if it, say it was a thousand, and it's five hundred offensive snaps. That's twenty percent of offensive snaps. Do I think you can play in twenty percent of offensive snaps? I don't know. I think it's probably hovering around that number. I guess I would. Uh, I don't know. He's been really good in the spring, obviously. I, but cool. It's going to cool come down way. to is Micah Pittman available? Because if he is, that changes the dynamics of the numbers. Uh, Winston Wright, Kai Douglas is another guy that kind of factors into that discussion of that role. Yeah. So basically, I, you're saying your king of the spring is going to do nothing this year? No, I think he'll do plenty, but I think it might be picking his punches versus playing a healthy amount of snaps. 
Doesn't sound like a game. Chris, Chris, dro- Chris okay, dropped. Okay, I'm buying it. No. Zach, Zach, Zach's punching me in the belly. He's jabbing me right here. I just wanted to so first to go buy it. No. There you go. I bought it. <laughs> uh, uh, this is routes run, so it's not the same. Like, it's just standing there and perimeter blocking. But, like, the most routes run by a wide receiver last year, just for context, 266 from Johnny Wilson. Um, someone like Kentron Portier, who, who played – Felt like meaningful snaps last year. He only ran 87 routes. Jakai Douglas was hurt, 79. Uh, I mentioned earlier someone who who was in, in the game for in about like 50 snaps, but only ran five routes, Josh Burrell. So just for context, uh, it, 100 snaps might be more ambitious than I initially thought. But you know what? I said bye. I'm not going to w- go back and forth, flip-flop like Chris did. No. no. I wanted to Sinone, but Zach punched me one too many times, so I had to buy. Come on, Zachy Bowley. This is from Will. Byers known Trey Benson will have more rushing yards than the rest of the running back room combined this season. It's a good, I think it's going to make you think a little bit. Make your I think also known that, even though I am a firm believer that Trey Benson will be featured 1A back and may be more featured than recent years where they split carries a bit more. I still think from a yardage standpoint, the collective of that room will slightly eclipse what he does. Yeah, exactly. I, I'll buy that too. I th- I agree. I think they just uh, they want to keep their backs, uh, you know, not as battled throughout a game. And and I think uh, we'll see. You know, Kaziah Holmes will even get reps, and then obviously Lawrence Tofili, Rodney Hill, and maybe even CJ Campbell at some point. So no, I think I think the rest of those guys will probably amount to more. Yeah, I guess I will Sonona. Uh, I think. I think they have three to four. By the way, I heard CJ Campbell had a really good uh, scrimmage as well. Kaziah uh, Holmes did. I think he he left a little little gimpy, but uh, should be fine. So yeah, they they have they have five guys who are legitimately all ACC, oh, not all ACC caliber, ACC caliber running backs. Uh, and then you factor in like Jordan Travis running the ball. Um, I don't know if we will count Shaheen Bell at any point as like a running back, if, if that is a role that he ends up having, but I think he has that, that skill set to help out too. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if you're going to have to turn to Trey Benson a ton this year, but you do want him to be like in a good rhythm too, right? Like that is a thing that, that he's very much a rhythm based runner. And we saw that last year, like when he just gets thrown into the fire, not as effective as when he's playing and heating up for multiple games in a row and, speed of the game is kind of settling in for him so that's worthwhile too i guess we'll see how they manage him it'll be interesting by orson this is from ivy blowstein is the next wilt fong um well first off i think wilt fong is still the next wilt fong like uh, he he's not not slowing down currently um zach if you want to be the next wilt fong you can be you can do anything you want to do i'm gonna pull a little a little parenting uh cliche you can do anything you put your mind to zach bye i'll buy it i think zach's great at his job he's got a better head of hair than steve too he's got that going for him but zach zach is incredibly impressive for his age at building sources building relationships working sources getting information embedding information and those are all qualities that steve is magnificent at Steve is as hardworking of a dude as I've ever met in this business. He is the best at what he does in this business. And that's not me blowing uh, smoke up his ass because he works for a company I work for. Good show. The dude is phenomenal at it. I think Zach has every bit of the making to do it. Um, 
And Zach's probably beat him a little bit out of the tunnel as far as age group for getting after and doing this job. I think Steve was a little bit older before he honed in on doing what he does now. Thank you, boys. Learn from the best, obviously. Um, but I'm still owning it. Um, I like where I'm at right now. And I, and Steve's doing his thing, and he's he's the goat at this. Um, but, yeah, I'm not going to toot my own horn. I, I think uh, I'm, I'm creating my own path. Oh, cool. Cool. The the amazing thing to add on Steve, the amazing thing, he's going to break news, he's going to break crystal balls, and he's gonna hit at an insanely high rate. But like he has the trust of the kids and their people to do that. And he balances that, which is insanely difficult to balance, especially this day and age with NIL and the ability for the rug to be pulled out from underneath your feet more than ever in recruiting before. And that's just an unbelievable quality, how good he is at doing that. And I, I love working with Steve. I, I didn't really know Steve when I came over 24-7. I did talk to him right before I made the switch and came over to the company. Um, but I was impressed by him then. And now working with him for almost 11 years, yeah, I, I think the world of the dude. I think he's phenomenal he, yeah. what he does. And he does it from, like, the Midwest where, like, it's not a potent recruiting area. So he's doing most of yeah. his stuff, most of his source building connections all, all over the phone, which is just super impressive. And he's all about business. The man just yeah. works, 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 works. So, do you guys want to say anything nice about me? I love you, Brendan. You're all right, I guess. Uh, Ivy Byers Sinone Duffy takes non garbage time snaps this season. Uh, I will Sinone it. I think he's trying to, I think what Ivan's trying to do here is to get us to say he's going to be the QB2 if like Jordan Travis misses any time but i think i was to know that right now i think this is still tate's tate's job as the uh the incumbent backup to jordan travis yeah seconded i agree so no will buyer sanone over two fsu offensive linemen on all acc teams now, there were three last year oh bye i oh, mean four. I, there, jeremiah byers Scott. yes are we talking all all acc teams or all acc first teams? let's you know what let's cut out honorable mention uh, and because there's at so least one, four two, that were, yeah, yeah, they're a hundred percent gonna have more than two. Bye. I mean, I, I feel like if Robert Scott gets healthy, yes, Jeremiah Byers is a definite yes for me. I ain't betting against Mo Smith, the dude just never gets knocked down in a 12 round fight. And then one of the guards uh, is definitely so that's more than two, yeah. yeah. So I'll buy a ACC. Well, I'll just say ACC media, all media, we're pretty lazy. And when we look at offensive line play, we're just going to look at who what offense had the most yards, especially who had the most rushing yards, who, who carved out the most space with that in mind. I, I did put this out on Twitter earlier. FSU over the last two years, last two seasons. Oh, did something fall down into the pool, Chris? No, nah, just oh, not yeah. a ray of sunshine. It's a beautiful <laughs> oh, day out. Apparently your little ray of sunshine uh, over the last two years, FSU has the top three rushers in the ACC in yards per carry Trayshawn Ward over that two year span. And then Trey Benson and uh, last year, Jason Corbin the year before. So if history shows us anything, FSU is probably going to be very efficient running the football again this season. And the offensive line will probably be rewarded for all ACC honors. So yeah, I'm going to buy it with, with an over, uh, probably an easy over. Ivy asks Byers to known Duke Cooper starts over Akeem Dent at safety. So Shaheen Brown would be at the other spot. Is that how we're kind of? I that's how uh, I interpret crafting it. that. I think I think so because Shaheen Brown's skill set's more unique. 
or more different is different than what the other two the other two have more similar skill sets as corners who I get, played safety. For me, for now, I'm synoning it. I think Akeem Dent and Duke Cooper are your most likely two safety starters, with Shaheen Brown being the changeup. I think it'll be Akeem and Akeem and Shaheem. It's like it's a kind of rhymes with you can move Shaheem in sub packages down to the line of scrimmage, or it's like kind of like the Jamie Robinson role. He's got more Jamie Robinson type of type of vibes to him as like this guy who can do a little bit of everything. And you have Duke Cooper being your third safety, who's going to play like a good amount of snaps. I mean, you're going to probably use that sub package a lot, as we saw this past year. So that would be me. So I would have known it. I don't think Duke, as, as good as he's been this spring, starts over Akeem Dent. But the idea of a starter may not mean a ton because I think the reps would be distributed fairly evenly among those three. I think you feel good about all three of them. That, that's the bigger takeaway is, is Duke could even be in this conversation. Zach? I'm synoting. I think it's Akeem Dent and Shaheem's uh, job to lose. And, and I think Duke will be, like you said, the third guy in the rotation. All right. I got two more. This one's from Ivy as well. This is off of some scoop that Chris dropped at Knowles247.com earlier today. Byer Sinone, Jonathan Daniels commits to FSU this weekend. I'll synone it. I, I don't think FSU is really pushing for commitments right now. I don't either. I thought maybe they would for the, like during the junior day. Legacy last week weekend. or the legacy weekend but that didn't happen and so like now the next two dates are spring game and then late june which is typically when they've pushed for commitments in the past yeah i think you. i think jonathan daniels has mentioned that he wants to make a summer decision i believe it was him that said that i know jason sandamello is another offensive lineman that definitely is making a decision in july is what his plan is but mm-hmm. i think jonathan daniels is in the same uh, category and, and FSU expects to host him for one of his official visits, which will likely take place in June. And I expect he probably makes a decision after those officials. So, so no. are, are we sweating Zernamella, by the way, getting the Georgia offer? We thought FSU was probably. That was interesting, right? That that Georgia came, got into the mix. I mean, that kind of is like what happened with Alu Ba a few, a couple years ago, where you get someone who's rising and moving up and, and you're in the driver's seat. And then Georgia enters the picture. We'll see, I guess, what, what leads. What comes of that? Yeah. Yeah. You never dismiss back to back national champions, but FSU's done a phenomenal job with Zandamella. Lucas Simmons and him are very close. Um, yeah, I'd be surprised if Zandamella ends up somewhere other than FSU. Mm. Last question. This is directed towards me from Ivy. B Sun, that's me in the group chat. Eats at I hate this group chat so much, by the way. B Sun eats at Chili's with us in Orlando over Labor Day weekend. Um as tempting as that sounds, I mean, maybe also known. I I don't think I'm going to get out to Chili's in Orlando, although it is a very Orlando type of destination. No one does Chili's like Orlando. I'm just going to put it that way, guys. Didn't the Chili's in Tallahassee like close down? The one on Appalachie? Probably. I mean, if you're a restaurant, here's the thing about Appalachie. I don't know how we don't have any sponsors there. No, I don't know how many restaurants die on <laughs> Appalachie and then a new restaurant comes in their place doing the exact same thing they did and yeah. then they. Ale House is the only one that's lived. Ale House it's is like so hard to like. It's, it's like no one die. wants to go on the side road to go to those restaurants. Oh, like, the side the side road. What what are we doing, Appalachia? Like the yeah. the service road. Get out of here. What are we doing? It's twenty twenty three. Who's doing service roads anymore? That's it. I never had to deal with that until I moved to Tallahassee. It's crazy. It's it does not make any sense. Sorry. All right, Byerson Owen was brought to you by the Turner Group. 
So now we're going to move on to some recruiting. All right, guys, I'm going to let you finish it up. I got to go get my hair cut. It looks crazy right now. So bye. I'll post this later. So no. Um, all right. All right, Zach. So uh, let's do the overview, the 50,000 feet view of the weekend. Is it fair to say that this weekend did not feel like the club was real exclusive? Yeah, I mean, it it had vibes of 2022, if that's what you want to say. But that's not, you know, anything to to look down upon just because of the amount of talent they've already had or FSU's hosted on campus so far this spring. Obviously, there's going to be some weekends that aren't as talented as others. There still were some key prospects that we can talk about from from this weekend. Yeah, I think it was ballpark 50 to 75 total kids in through the building. I would say there was roughly a dozen that were guys that moved the needle, guys that we care about. And there was a good amount of 25 and 26 kids. So they are, for the first time in a long time, FSU is truly recruiting in advance. They're ahead of the schedule. That hasn't happened around these parts under the last two regimes and certainly not the end of the prior one. Um, so that's a good thing. That is a positive from the weekend. All right, diving in, though, we're going to mostly focus on, I believe, 24 guys that were in this weekend. I'll start it off with a commitment. Jamori Flag, defensive tackle, South Florida kid. You mentioned earlier him and Pat Payton have some relation. What did you learn after Jamori took a two-day visit to Tallahassee? Yeah, he just spent a ton of time around the staff, got in on Friday, flew in from South Florida um, out of Miami Booker T. Washington High School, and he's – uh, spent a ton of time around the staff. Like I said, Randy Shannon, his area recruiter, um, and then other guys like Odell Hagen's defensive tackles coach, and then director of high school relations, Ryan Barto, and also spent a good amount of time with head coach Mike Norvell. Um, you know, had everything great to say about the trip uh, when asked about his commitment status to Florida State, said it was super solid. Um, there was really nothing to worry about. He did say, however, that he does plan to take some other visits to other programs over the next you know, a couple months. Um, I think Penn State was the only school that he really mentioned by name as a program that he's looking to set up a visit with. He did visit Miami recently. I think it was in January. Um, that's the only other school I know he's visited uh, uh, as of late, but he did get some other offers um, in, you know, to start 2023. I think UF offered and, and a couple other schools. So a guy that's uh, definitely receiving interest from other programs. I think the most positive development from Flag's visit was his updated measurements. Um, he, t- or I was told that he measured in at 6'3 and close to 300 pounds. I think it came in you know, just a shade under 298. Um, but there was some question before you know, about where he'd be listed at, at the next level, whether it'd be an edge or an interior defensive lineman, because his previous weight before I you know, switched it up on 24-7 was at 235 pounds, which I believe was recorded before his junior season. Um, but he's obviously going to be an interior defensive lineman now pushing the scale at almost 300 pounds. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's a positive development. FSU told him over the weekend that he's going to likely be a nose tackle for them within their defensive scheme, which I thought was interesting. I thought more of a three tech would be, um, you know, the, the role for him, but that was what flag told uh, me after his visit is, is, you know, what was Florida state's plan for him at the next level. So um, thought that was interesting, but yeah, pretty much a, a solid interview. That the whole video interview with Flags up on Most Twenty Four Seven. I posted that this morning. Um, you know, he's a great kid, and, and I think FSU got a good one with him. Um, you know, we'll see. You know, if he takes any other visits. Uh, I think Penn State, like I said, was the only other school he mentioned. But you never know. Um, he could go and um, make some trips to other schools. But for right now, I think he's pretty locked in with Florida State. 
Yeah, Zach did a very good intel piece on the entire weekend, highlighting around a dozen or so of the main topics, main prospects that made their way through. So definitely check that out. Good bit of information. Zach, I'll front this next one. with Who that visited this weekend would you most willingly bet ends up in FSU's class? Man, um, I guess. I have one uh, off the top of my head. Yeah, three-star tight end Hubert Calise out of um, Louisiana. Yeah, he – he continues to say Florida State leads for him. And I think FSU is pretty high on him um, being recruited by area recruiter David Johnson, tight ends coach Chris Thompson, and even some by head coach Mike Norvell. Um, this visit was more of a laid back trip for him besides obviously watching the scrimmage like all these guys did. Um, but he said he might get back to FSU for the spring game on April 15th. And he said he wants to make a commitment before his senior season. So likely sometime over the summer. Um I said in my Intel piece that you mentioned, as long as FSU continues to push for Kalist, I expect him to end up in the class. So um, probably an easy pick there out of the guys that were on campus this weekend. Yeah, he's a guy that Yak knew about before most. I think, in fact, his son may have played with him over there at St. Aug. Um, St. Aug had a bunch of kids in this weekend. That's a school that Yak has a phenomenal relationship with. He used to work there. So that helps, obviously, with kind of building a bridge. Basketball, football kid, good development going on there. I think his stock will continue to rise during the evaluation period. His offer list has improved dramatically since FSU started recruiting him versus where it is now. I think that trend will continue. He's a kid I like, especially if you're going to take a couple tight ends in the class. I think he can be a very good second one for you. All right. uh, Staying on the offensive side of the ball, a couple of O-linemen that were there, John Wayne Oliver. I don't know why, but the name always triggers me to some degree. And then Marcus Easley. Talk a bit about those two guys. Yeah, so John Wayne Oliver, um, we didn't actually catch up with him. I know Dane was working on that, but um, he snuck out the more. So I don't know you know, what, what that was about, but it's all good. Um, he, he enjoyed his trip. He posted on Twitter and he told Dane Draper that he now intends to take an official visit to FSU in June. He said uh, to Dane that the that FSU staff is working on a date for that trip that they want it to be his last official visit. So I guess that's um, a little newsworthy, right? Um, Means that they probably like him a good amount. You know, we'll see if he does end up setting up that official. Then Marquez Easley, an intriguing prospect, um, listed at 6'7", 300 pounds out of Illinois, uh, top uh, 247, I guess, prospect um, in our rankings and a guy that has received – a ton of interest from a bunch of schools. He's got officials already set up to Georgia and Tennessee. He stayed at FSU pretty much all day on Saturday. He arrived a little bit before the scrimmage. Um, so that was, you know, around 10 in the morning. And then he stayed all the way until about 7.30 p.m. He was the last guy to leave the building. So spent a ton of time around the staff. He didn't fly out until Sunday morning. And Alex Atkins was obviously the point man for easily, but he spent, you know, a good amount of time around Atkins' offensive lineman assistants, Cooper Williams and Gabe Fertitta. Um, he claimed the Knowles have a good shot at making his upcoming top list and that he intends to return to campus, but he doesn't yet have a, a date locked in for that trip. We'll see, you know, how heavily FSU continues to recruit him. Obviously, he's a guy that's, you know, out of state. Um, they have a few targets in state and around, you know, in, in the surrounding area. I think FSU as a whole is just not super high on the, the 2024 offensive line class but he's a guy that that obviously flew in so um somewhat of a, a name of note and we'll see kind of where things go between the two sides moving forward 
Yeah, he came with mom and little brother on a visit. Uh, flipping to the defensive side of the ball, Elias Rudolph's a kid now at Deerfield Beach in South Florida, formerly at Taft up there in Cincinnati, Ohio area. He moved down here. He's looking forward to playing the competition in Florida and what comes with being in Florida as far as being close to so many high-level schools, including Florida State. Rudolph is a kid that was supposed to come in, I believe, Legacy Weekend originally yeah. was the expectation. That didn't happen. Instead, he comes this past weekend. First time up here, first time spending time on campus. FSU offered roughly a month ago in late February. What did Rudolph take away from his time around FSU? And he is one of the guys earlier we referenced, guys talking about the defensive line and the performance of defensive ends. That did stand out to Rudolph. That's one thing I recall from his exit interview. Yeah, he did say that um, when asked about the scrimmage. And then, um, you know, I kind of asked him, he's obviously a guy that, that moved recently from Ohio to South Florida, my neck of the woods. And I basically asked him, you know, how did things spark up between you and FSU? Obviously, the offer came in late February. Um, but he basically said his move is what sparked that FSU's coaching staff got word of what, you know, where he was going. He's an in-state kid now. Um, they probably have a better shot, especially if his family's down there. And, um, that's where the contact sparked up between him and FSU. Um, the main contact for him is FSU defensive ends coach, John Papuchis. Um, he said afterwards that Florida state has a good shot at making his upcoming top nine. Um, but they will have to battle out with some some of the top Midwest programs that were already involved in his recruitment before his move to Florida and Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and some others. And then um, he also did visit a now local program for him, uh, Miami, I believe that was earlier on in March. So, yeah, a guy that's that's visited a ton of schools. Honestly, if you check his kind of Twitter and Instagram, uh, he, he's been everywhere um, over the last couple of months. Um, but a guy that I think FSU now has a a decent shot with um, that he's in state and Deerfield beach is a program that FSU's coaching staff is pretty familiar with. They've, you know, Ron Dugans is, I know has recruited that school for a long time. So, um, you know, I think he'll, he'll be influential in that one. And then obviously John Papuchis as the lead man, uh, defensive ends coach uh, recruiting Elias Rudolph, who is listed at six four two twenty as an edge prospect, a, a top two, four, seven kid as well. Another South Florida defender that spent actually multiple days on campus was Ryan Mack. Uh, I believe Ryan's a Miami legacy. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Zach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you take away from the South Florida DB as he left campus after wrapping up a multi-day visit? Yeah, so his dad, Rod Mack, played linebacker for Miami in the 1990s. Um, he was actually at Miami earlier last week, but then, like you said, trip to FSU for both Friday and Saturday. I think he's kind of an underrated um, guy. You know, I think Florida State really likes this, uh, likes Ryan Mack. And I think um, that has to do mainly with Pastor Tan, who I think is familiar with uh, Mack and his family. Um, and that's the coach that he said that he spent the most time with. He said he's being recruited as a cornerback for FSU. Um, and, you know, that'll be interesting. I think I think he really enjoyed his trip. Uh, I'll probably do a full, you know, blown out story on him sometime this week just about the visit. Um, but he said he's likely taking his official visits during the summer and that the only other planned visit he has right now is, is Pittsburgh. And he, he intends to get back to Florida State at some point, but he didn't have a date locked in for that. Is he related to King who went to Penn State? I don't think so. I actually asked about that. Okay. So King Mack is a uh, 2023 prospect from St. Thomas Aquinas as well. It's just weird, right? They have the same last name from the same high school. Yeah, I didn't know if they were brothers, maybe cousins. I wasn't sure. 
I, yeah, it's, I know his, it's not listed on his profile. And I think I asked someone about that recently and they said um, they weren't related, which I found surprising too. Rule number one of recruiting South Florida, always taking Aquinas kid. That's in the rule book yeah. for me, at least. All right. So the last name I'm going to bring up kind of transitions us into the next topic as well. It's a linebacker, Monte Whedon, kid from Washington. So one about his visit, but two, your thoughts on linebacker recruiting. I know it's kind of a lightning rod topic, so let's go ahead and do it. Yeah. So Monte Whedon flew in from Washington, D.C. He goes to St. John's High School up there. Um, he's listed 6'1", 215 on his profile. Um, other top offers for him include Texas, Ole Miss, Boston College, Maryland, and a few others. Um, Texas is the most recent one, and that's a school that he did mention when I asked about, you know, or when Dane asked about what other schools are involved with him. Um, so he, he made a two-day trip to Florida State this weekend, um, arriving on Friday before departing on Saturday. He said he spoke to a lot of coaches, but said it spent most of his time on the trip with Randy Shannon, um, FSU's linebacker coach. He liked the conversations, conversations with Shannon as well as what he saw during the scrimmage from the coaching standpoint from, from Shannon. Um, Whedon says he intends to now officially visit FSU in the summer, that'll likely occur in June, obviously, because that's when most of the officials will take place. And he said FSU is probably his top school after this visit. He intends to make a commitment um, before his upcoming football season. So likely, again, during the summer. Um, and, and you know, about the second part of that question, um, FSU's well, linebacker. Real quick, yeah. real quick. Who does Whedon remind you of physically? A little like Tatum Bethune. I agree, um, which yeah, I feel like has become – the the standard type of what Randy Shannon appears to be going for. Yeah. Um, they're that, always may, around. that may be me perceiving yeah. that topic more than somebody no. telling me that, but, and yeah. I like Whedon's film for the record. Like I know people will lose their mind because he's not ranked in his offer list isn't out of this world. I do like that kid's film. I haven't watched yet. Right. What does he do? Well, uh, he's just, he's more quick than fast, but he's very physical he does a good job of plugging space. He He's just aggressive. He gets to the ball. He tends to be around the ball, and he makes good plays on the ball, and he finishes plays really, really well. Uh, I, I like the way he moves. I mean, I, so let's jump into the linebacker discussion. Yeah. I, I I know Randy Shannon comes with a certain context as a linebacker, coach, and recruiter. Right? That's a natural through the door that was talked about. Randy Specials, for example, is one of those topics that was thrown around a minute. He was officially hired as an on-field coach for Florida State. Uh, obviously brought in Tatum Bethune via the portal. This past class, FSU adds a guy like Blake Nicholson, who Randy assisted on, but was also a major win for Derek Ray, who had ties to the area that Blake was from. Uh, they also had DeMarco Ward and uh, Dylan Brown-Turner was late at the whistle ad, where I think they wanted to add another high school kid for further depth in the room. There wasn't really a portal kid available. That made sense with the fact that you have two very solid starters in Kaylin Deloach and Tatum Bethune returning for you this season. So fast forward, we're now in this cycle. Monte Whedon's name we're talking about. I think there's a couple topics worth mentioning. One, the amount of names we're talking about at the position, I think that's something that causes hesitation from people the type of players they're recruiting, especially from a ranking standpoint here early in the early stages of ranking. And just in general, when it feels like all of FSU's recruiting is on an uptick, that they're recruiting at a different level at a majority of positions, I think there's people, I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush, but there are people that think linebackers kind of getting left behind. So, Zach, take that baton and run with it and share your thoughts on it as somebody that's super in-depth on the recruiting side of it all. 
Yeah, well, I think there was a good uh, topic brought up on the No 24-7 message board. I forgot who um, posted it, but they basically broke down how many offers have been sent out at the linebacker position in the class of 2024 by Florida State compared to some of the other, you know, top schools, Georgia, Alabama, Miami, whatever, right? Um, schools that Florida State's, you know, somewhat competing with. And um, Florida State had the most. They, I think it was 22, 22, and then the next most was like 16. Um but at the, there's a difference between casting a wide net of offers and then those offers becoming legitimate targets for you, right? Um, and I think that's where the issue lies in this uh, case. If you look at pretty much every other recruiting board, aside from maybe quarterback, because you already got one committed, it's extensive. You've got multiple options. You got plan A types and then plan B types and then even some plan Cs that, you know, if, if worse comes to worse, you're going to take that guy or maybe just go to the portal, right? Um, I think a great example is defensive back. I mean, that's the best example. There's about 15 guys on that board that might or might not be takes. They're all, you know, talented prospects that have visited Florida State within the past few months. I think that's a, an important thing to note, right? Visits matter. Um, if you're going to be a legitimate candidate for uh, a prospect, you need to get them on campus. And I can't say that really for line, the linebacker position aside from a few guys. Um, the one that comes to mind as, as a top target is Peyton Pierce, who was here um, out of the state of Texas um, for Legacy Weekend. That was his first ever trip to Florida State. Um, you know, I don't know if if I'm you know comfortable um, you know running a rec you know whatever being in recruiting and and my top target uh, at a position of probably need after this season. Uh, is a guy from the state of Texas that's only visited Florida State one time. Um, behind him, there's a guy like Edwin Spillman out of Tennessee who visited here in January but does not currently have a plan to get back here this spring. I asked him recently, and he had Georgia, Miami, and some other trips set up, I think UAB, but no plans to get back to Florida State. That's not saying that can't happen, um, but right now doesn't have a plan to get back, hasn't been here yet in March. And that's an important part, um, you know, as far as, you know, that's a guy that, that a lot of people think is probably going to end up at Tennessee being from that state. He's already got crystal balls for the volunteers. So, um, but, but behind those guys, I think that's, that's where this issue comes. You got Monte Whedon, like we just talked about. Jeremiah Marcelin's a three-star linebacker that visited in January, um, part of a, a bigger group that came up. And he is a guy that I checked on. And I don't believe at the time, um, a few weeks ago when I checked, he was a take for Florida State. So it just comes to my mind that that the board needs to be expanded with legit targets. It's not the same as other position groups where you're seeing these high caliber prospects at the top and then some you know guys that you'd be okay with taking, some maybe lower end blue or blue chip guys, and then some some three stars that maybe you feel or the staff feels they they've um, maybe have evaluated better than than what the ranking suggests, right? But th that's not the case for linebacker. The board isn't built that linebacker. The the board is not built that way. Um, that's just my personal take on it. I think the the overall recruiting of that position between you know recruiting the top targets and then also um, building out a board needs to be improved upon. Chris, what is your opinion? I think it's a funny topic in the sense where it does create like a lot of emotional response from a lot of people in a variety of ways. Yeah. I think the truth of it is that Randy Shannon recruits differently than most, especially in this day and age. 
good or bad, I don't know. The results usually will prove that out. Um, I do think it would benefit FSU to expand that board from an offer standpoint, especially with guys more so in the region that you can get on campus more regularly that you like. For example, Quay Birdsong is a guy that I wish they had gotten on campus. They did try to in January. They were supposed to earlier in March. Neither of those happened. He's now focused on five. FSU is not one of them. Not saying he's a guy that I definitely want FSU to get, but he's a guy that I would have liked seeing on the board, worth evaluating further, being in a discussion with more so than they were. Um, that's an example. Uh, at the end of the day, they're going to have to get probably three or so linebackers in this class because you're almost certainly losing your top two in Deloach and Bethune, obviously. And then it's a whole lot of to be determined at the position. Now, some of that probably going to end up portal hunting for a kid or two just because you're going to have to add some age experience in that room because your next guy's up, maybe Steven Dix, but I'm not a believer that he's a guy that's going to be a primary starter for you at any point. Omar Graham, who's in his second year here, is a guy who I think can help them. Uh, DJ Lundy's another guy who is in that mix who has had some starter experience, but you're going to have to mix that room up a little bit more. There's not a clear-cut next man up, necessarily speaking. So it's going to be interesting. I don't love the recruiting of that position. I think a whole lot of energy is expended on discussion of the recruiting of the position. When in reality behind like tight end and quarterback, it's the lowest number recruited position in the sense of the number you need to get in a particular class. If you hit on one, for example, I think they hit on Blake Nicholson last go round. That's a really good one. That's a solution to your future problems. You got to hit on one. And I think the concern right now is that like, I like Monte Whedon. But I don't know if Monte Whedon is that dude that says you hit on a solution to the problem necessarily if you were to end up landing him in the end. So would I like to see more names? Would I like to see more regional guys? Would I like to see maybe a dude that I could point to and be like, yeah, I think he's the number one on the board and they can realistically get him? Yeah, certainly. But I also, yeah, I, I don't get overly stuck on the thought of linebacker recruiting in March. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not knocking Randy Shannon as a coach. I think he's an excellent coach and a guy that can probably develop linebackers better than most, but we're at Florida state. And if you remember those teams that were winning natties and competing every year, they had killers at linebacker. Are we going to be able to say that after Deloach and Bethune leave, or do they have killers in that room that can go and maul offenses? Like I just, it doesn't feel like the the positions being recruited at the level it should be in accordance with like the ascension of Florida State's program right now. You just came off a 10-win season. You got everything going for you in the offseason, pretty much. You've got, you know, the staff that's had continuity for a while. You you pretty much have everything going for you in recruiting. And we've seen that ascension at different positions, right? Quarterback, you've got your guy. Running back, you've got your guy, and you've got other top targets. Receiver. The board is plentiful with with top uh, talent. Like it just doesn't feel like it's it's on par with the rest of the recruiting that's going on at, at different position groups. And I feel like that's where the issue lies for me. Um, maybe it'll improve. Maybe they'll get a string of visits. But I remember talking even last year compared to what was not a great you know field of recruiting for Florida State last cycle. Linebackers still felt lackluster until, you know, the Blake Nicholson situation unfolded and give Randy Shannon credit for that. Obviously you talked about Derek Ray's influence in that recruitment because of his ties to that area, but Randy was involved in recruiting Blake Nicholson. And, and if, you know, if Randy wasn't involved, you know, who knows what, what would have happened. Right. Um, 
And I think Randy's pedigree speaks for itself. He has coached some of the best linebackers that have ever played college football. So I'm not trying to, you know, knock on him as a coach, but I just think overall um, the, the position needs to be recruited better and it needs to be recruited in a, in a way that that's going to um, be on par with, with some of the recruiting that's going on at other positions for Florida state right now. It's a good summary saying you would like to see an uptick in recruitment of it, similar to what we've seen at tight end in this cycle. Yeah. They like, have we seen, there hasn't been a tight end board as, as extensive as this one that Florida state has right now. I mean, and, and yeah, I think it's a perfect way of putting it. Um, Chris Thompson is built out a board that is impressive top to bottom. A guy like Hubert Calise is probably, you know, a tight end two in your class, and you're going to go big game hunting for a tight end one and with guys like Kylan Fox, Landon Thomas, and Walter Matthews. Like, that is how I want my board set up at linebacker. Um, I think that's the best way to do it. And like you said, maybe, like, I'm the leader of the fan club of, I think linebackers out of the portal, like if you can find a, a good one, I think that's probably the best solution because I think that's one of the positions out of high school that you have to physically develop the most. There's not a lot of high school linebackers that are physically developed to go and start and contribute you for you very early on in their college careers. And I think we've seen that at Florida state. Um, you need guys that, that can physically develop in a college strength and conditioning program. And if you can, you know, accelerate that process by getting someone out of the portal, Go for it. And I think FSU absolutely plans to do that. But that's not to say that you can slack on high school recruiting. And I think that's some of what's going on right now at that position. Yeah. Last comment on linebacker from me, and then we'll move on to the last topic of the discussion today. Uh, I think that linebacker is a position maybe more than any on defense where you need a guy that fits what you do on defense with that position. Uh, you know, it's not like one size fit all, you know, defensive ends. If they're long, they're lanky, they're athletic and they can rush the passer. And then, yeah, they're probably going to fit pretty much any team in the country. Linebackers, not necessarily that. Obviously, there's certain assets you want in every linebacker, but different teams do different things with them. And I think FSU and the competition they play in the ACC, a lot of spread heavy, a lot of pass heavy to the middle of the field. You need a certain type of guy who has certain level of athleticism, awareness and can play to all all angles and all directions of the field. So. I, I do think the portal is intriguing in that sense because you you have more of a this is a guy in the college atmosphere playing a team similar to what we play or maybe a team we do play doing what we want to see and then you go and get them. All right, last topic, pretty short one because right now the list is kind of thin for the week, which is honestly a little nice. Need a little bit of a breather after a very busy March so far. Visitors this week, how about it, Zach? Yeah, um, I for some reason don't have the list up right now. Sorry. Um, well, to set the picture of the week, Tuesday, Thursday, practices for FSU, Saturday, scrimmage, same as last week. Friday will be pro day. I don't know if they intend to bring anybody in for pro day in the sense of having a kid watch it. Uh, you know, other than Jamie Robson, there's not a whole lot to write home about with regards to FSU's pro day and it creating a lot of fanfare. There are other guys competing for spots in the league, Cam McDonald, Dylan Gibbons. I'm probably forgetting somebody. I apologize. But, you know, Jamie Robinson's a headliner. It's not like next year's pro day for FSU where it should be stock full of talent. Yeah. So I'm looking at our running list right now. Um, we don't have anyone for the midweek visits for practices, but that obviously will happen. Florida State will host guys and we'll know about it beforehand and post it on those 24-7. But for this upcoming weekend, the weekend of April 1st, two very important defensive back targets are making it back to campus. Um, three-star defensive back, Kevin Levy. They're actually uh, related. I think they're cousins. Um, and then three-star defensive back, Ricky Knight, the third. Um, both high priorities for Florida State. Kevin Levy is a, a speedster out of um, Palm, West Palm Beach. And then 
Ricky Knight um, attends the Benjamin School also in North Palm Beach, um, where Jordan Travis played his high school football. So both guys that are really uh, important prospects for Florida State that will make it to campus this weekend. And then obviously we'll update you guys as we get the uh, the visitors that are expected in for Tuesday and Thursday as well. Yeah, big fan of Ricky Knight. He was outstanding at the Under Armour Orlando event, which I went to. I believe he just won MVP for defensive back at Rivals South Florida event this weekend. Uh, he does that pretty consistently. He's a South Florida fire kid that's kind of emerged since January and caught fire and been very popular in recruiting circles. He's smart. He's competitive. He's got a lot of those attributes and traits that I think FSU likes. His measurements aren't off you know, off the radar like some other guys on the defensive backboard, but I think there's a lot to like about Ricky Knight. And uh, Kevin's a very talented track athlete type of kid, very good speed, also a good player in his own right. So those two will be fun. I'm sure the list will expand drastically. Not expecting anybody on Monday as of right now, about 11 a.m. in the morning. But, you know, I expect kids to be here for each of the practices on Tuesday and Thursday. They've been pretty continually open for business since March began. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Anything else to add, Zachary? I think we're all good. Bring us home. All right. So for Chris, for Zach, for Brendan, who went and got his hair cut, thanks for listening. And uh, as always, if you've got questions, feel free to ask them on the boards. If you haven't joined us, we got the – the Battles End promo going on right now. There are also just general 24-7 promos always going on as well. Uh, you know, thanks to Chattanooga Whiskey for sponsoring us, even though my cohort stole my bottle. Thank you to the Battles End, as I already mentioned. Thank you to the Turner Group, as always. And I think that's about it. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll probably talk to you later. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.